morning, y'all. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 17. Proverbs 22, verse 17. You get that? Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you and we praise you, my Father, just for being God and just for allowing us to even just take time just to think about you, Father. Help us to never take you for granted all the goodness, the mercy that you show us day by day. Help us to be forever grateful, God. Teach us to focus on you, to learn of you, to live, to be like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in Proverbs chapter 22, starting at verse 17. And here in the book, we're transitioning to the section we refer to as the words of the wise. We're meeting the words of the wise. So the style of the proverb is about to change. We've been having these short statements with these pithy lessons. But now it's going to be longer, two, three verses that teaches a point. And here we have the introduction here in verse 17 through 21. It says, bow down thy ear and hear the words of the wise and apply thy heart unto my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee, they shall withal be fitted in thy lips. So this is the opening of the introduction. And here he's given us what we should do and how it is that we're supposed to benefit from these proverbs. So when he's talking about bow down your ear, it's the basically the idea of you putting yourself in a position of humility to hear, to listen. When he say, hear the words of the wise, he wants you to take heed, but the biblical Hebrew understanding of hear is something we got to pick up. It's not just to listen to. It's that you take heed to it with the intent of doing what it is that is being heard. So there are some instructions that's about to come forth. And the only way we're going to benefit from them if we have a, a humility in our position and there's a readiness for us to understand what is being taught and to go and do it. So apply thine heart unto knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing. So the reason we need to listen, to bow down our heart, be humble, and that apply your heart to knowledge is to devote your heart to it or to, to glue your heart to this thing of knowledge. So our whole heart should be surrounded or, or absorbed with this knowledge. And the reason is, say, this is a pleasant thing if you keep them. So if you hold on to these things, it's something that is pleasing. It is something that brings satiation. It's something that brings satisfaction to you. If you listen, if you humble yourself, be ready to obey and devote your whole heart to it. This is the position that we have to have. Be ready, to, a humility of mind, a readiness to do, and a devotion of our whole heart. If we do that, say this will be a pleasant thing if you keep them, if you hold on to it, if you observe, protect these words. And he said, they, in verse 18, they shall be withal fitted in thy lips. So there will come on a point that if we have this disposition, if we have this mind, that the words that are about to come forth, they're going to conform to us. And it is something that there will be a unity between us and these words. That's what he means by they shall be withal fitted to your lips. There's a confirmation that's going to take place where we in these words, there will be a unity to them. And this is what we need to do to benefit from these words of the wise. Verse 19 said, that your trust may be in the Lord. I have made known to thee this day, even to thee, have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge. So this is what he did. 
The first couple of verses is what we're supposed to do. This is what he have done. He said that your trust may be in the Lord. So the purpose of his writing is so that we can trust God. He have made known, I have declared to you this day, even to you, have I not written to thee excellent sayings or excellent things and counsels and knowledge. Now that verse 20 is a controversial verse that if you got some of them new Bibles, if you're reading the NIV or NLT, yours might read a little different. It says something like, have I, I written unto you 30 sayings? Now 30 and excellent seems to be a completely different thing. Now, like That don't sound nowhere close to one another. And how do we get that difference there? And here is where scholars in their confusion come in at. Because the idea is that we're going through this section of the book. It's a very common idea that this portion of the book was stolen. And there's a lot of people who believe that they stole this book from a book in Egypt. Referred to as the instructions of Aminopi. So what they do is since the book of Aminopi ends with the words, have not I written unto you 30 sayings, they take that to try to define this word here that it's hard to define as excellent sayings. This is the only place in our Bible that is used. Now you got roots of it and it can be translated noble. It can be translated princely or it could be 30 or 300. So the way they decide how to translate it is he stole it. So it means 30. I don't agree with that. And I have multitude of reasons that we're going to get into now because of that. So the way we read it and understand it is he written unto them excellent things or noble things, things that reign supreme or things that are greater than others. So this is what we have before us. And he said, the purpose of these writings is that our trust may be in the Lord. Verse 21. It's another outcome of it. Said that I make, that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mayest answer the words of truth to them that sin unto thee. So this is the outcome. If, if we do apply our heart, if we allow our ears to be ready to do it, and if we give our whole being in humility to taking heed to these words, so you will know the certainty of the words of truth, that there will be a foundation and established things, assured things that come from these words of truth and you will understand them. And it's the idea of you not being shook or you not being tossed to and fro when it comes to the things that are true. You will know them of the truth and you will have an ability to respond to those that sin unto you. So when people come to you questioning you about the words of truth, you will know how to answer. So that's what we're supposed to glean from what we get in here. A trust in God, knowing the certainty of the words of truth. And having the ability to respond when people come to us with questions. We know how to rightly respond to them. And let's see, can we get some of this good knowledge? And here, like I said, the tone is about to change. Starting in verse 22. It's one of the first sayings. It's an instruction of what we're supposed to do. It said, rob not the poor because he is poor. Neither oppress the afflicted in the gate. So that's what we're supposed to do. Don't rob or take advantage of the poor simply because he is poor. So you don't mistreat the poor people, neither oppress the afflicted. So those who have been hurt, those who have been mistreated, say you don't oppress them. You don't go on to take further advantage of them. Why? Verse 23, because the Lord will plead their cause and spoil the souls of those that spoil them. So those who mistreat the poor, those who take advantage of the afflicted, God is going to fight on their behalf. So that's why you don't do that. 
And this gives us the extended thing that we've been running to throughout this whole book. God has a heart for who? The poor. The poor are important to God. They mean something to him. And he take personal offense to how we treat the poor. And that is something we need to keep in our mind. We don't look down on people. We don't mistreat people. We don't take advantage of people. Those who are poor, those who are in oppressed position, we have a, a, a breaking in our heart for those people because God cares about them to the point where he said he's willing to rob the soul of those who rob them. That's deep. If you take their money, I'm going to take your soul. That's how God feels about the poor. If you mistreat the afflicted, I'm going to mistreat your soul. And that's why we don't mistreat them. Verse 24, it says, make no friendship with an angry man. And with the furious man, thou shalt not go. This is the what we're supposed to do. Don't become friends. Don't be a companion with an angry man. That's a, a man that cannot control himself. A person that just responds quickly. Quick-tempered person is the way we would say it. Like, don't be a friend with him. And with the furious man, a man that rages, said don't go with him. So there should be no union, no communion, no companionship between us and the angry. We should avoid those type of friendships. Why? Verse 25 says, at least I learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. So the danger of being a friend, the danger of being a companion to somebody who cannot control themselves, is the idea that he said, least, that's for fear of. It's a fear that you might learn their ways and gather a snare to your soul. A snare is a trap. So you might trap up your soul by your friendships. And this is something that we need to understand and extend. Just folks who didn't live through life long enough, just think about how often have you been in a friendship with somebody and the most negative of the two has the greatest impact in the friendship? Y'all ever seen that before? The person that's that's the most out there end up wearing down the person with the most morals or, or, or the most conservative of the group. And that's normally what takes place. That there's a mutual exchange when we have friendships and it's just not this surfaces type things. There's an exchange that goes forth. There's something of an influence and an impact that takes place by who we surround ourselves by. And what he is saying is don't make friendships with an angry man because you're going to learn his ways and something in you will become a trap to your very own soul. And it's this idea we have to be conscious of who our friends are. And I make this statement quite often. If your best friend, the person who you call and you reach out to, when you want somebody to talk to, when you need somebody to share with, when you're trying to have some fellowship, if they are not the type of person you desire to be, you are not that person. Because there is a level of connection with the old American proverb, birds of a feather flock together. And there's a unity and there's an exchange that takes place. Just watch. Like I said, it's certain expressions I never said before in my life. Until I started hanging around with Jay. And it's not nothing conscious that you just do. I just noticed this folks start saying. Hanging out with Butte for a year. Now I'll be saying, shoot. <laughs> Never say. <laughs> 
And it's just the, the exchange that happens through that fellowship and through that companionship. And so there's something that we need to be conscious of. And here he's giving us warning. Like there's an exchange that can happen. And if your friendships are the wrong type of people, you can gather a snare unto your soul. Verse 26. Be not thou one of them that strike hands or of them that are sureties for death. This is the what we're not supposed to do. So don't beat one of them that strike hands. That strike hands is just like we understand it today. You make a contract. You make an agreement. So there are of them that are surety for death. That surety is what we understand as being a cosigner. So don't put yourself in a position where you cosign with somebody or obligate yourself to death. So here we're speaking negatively about death. I understand this is the American way, and the only way you can have stuff, according to the American world, is if you borrow money and get in debt. The Bible does not agree with that. Debt is something we should avoid. And here he tells us why in verse 27. Say, if thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed for, from under thee? And it's the idea, why would you obligate yourself for something, not knowing what will be after you? And this is something that uh the apostle of this house, Jay, his, his expression, I, and I like it. When we borrow money and when we obligate ourselves and bind ourselves in, in, in debt, you're sending your future self bills. And just think about this. Would you rather, if I made it come into an agreement with you, I'd say, hey, would you rather that I give you $2 or $30,000 worth of debt? Which would you prefer? You just take the little $2. $2 ain't nothing. What you going to do with $2? <laughs> and, that's the, and that's the exchange that we make. We see ourselves having little. And we want much. But what we do is we take our little and consume it, and we send much debt into the future. So we rob from our future sales when we make these exchanges. I would rather you give me $2 and me figure out how to make it with that than for you to send me $30,000 worth of debt. And I would, I'm pretty sure your future self would rather the same thing. It would rather that you show up 10, 30 years from the road now with $2 in the pocket than negative $30,000 hanging over your head because it's the idea of you don't know what's going to come later. So why should you have your bed taken from under you? And it's the thing of what's the old the other American proverb? A bird in the hand is worth more than two in the bush. I know what I got. I don't know what I will have. So why risk what I have for something that I may not have? And say, you got a bed. But if you obligate yourself and bind yourself to debt, you might lose that. So it's the thing of be conscious of putting yourself into debt. Now, verse 28 is a one hitter proverb that we're going to come back to. It said, remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And it's the idea of the way they marked out borders back in the day was they set these border stones. And so you might have a vast amount of property. And at the edge of your property, you just got this little rock that just sit there and then marks the edge of your property. And just think about this. How easy would it be for me to take your land by just flipping that rock over 
once a month. <laughs> yeah, I just flip it over. Don't, don't be greedy. Just one little flip once a month. And if I do that long enough, I could extend my property by acres and shrink yours by the same amount. <laughs> and if you got vast amounts, just think about the land that you don't have a journey through that you don't, you, you wouldn't know it. And here is the idea of there's a tradition and there's rules and there's parameters set up. Don't go against them. Respect the boundaries that are set up. And I said, we'll come back to that one because it's going to be repeated. In 29, if seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. That mean men is common men, regular people. And this is one that as I think back in life, I wish somebody would have taught me a little bit earlier in life. This is contradiction between what we've been taught. Now, we've been reading Proverbs and we came across the famous church proverb that your gifts shall bring you before great people. And we understood that that wasn't what they was talking about as far as talents. It didn't have nothing to do with that. And it's the idea of we talked about last week, the sowing and reaping, that if you want to get rich, you give money to rich people and they're going to make you better. And we realize the Bible speaks against that. And the church has bankrupted us on how to elevate in life. And that's because we don't teach the whole council. And hear what he's saying. If you see somebody that's diligent in their business. So the diligent man is somebody who works hard consistently doing what should be done, how it should be done, when it should be done. That's the diligent person. They consistently work in doing what should be done, how it should be done, when it should be done. It's like that person is not going to be a regular person. When they do their business that way diligently, they're going to elevate and be amongst great people. So here is showing us that the way you ascend in life is through work ethic. It ain't through no magical formula of giving the magical people your money and somehow you're going to be great. It ain't just through relying on simple talent because we all know great people who are just that. They have, I mean, have great talent and that's all they have is talent. They don't got nothing else. They have never done anything else. It's because they don't have the drive. They don't have the work ethic. They don't have the stick to it in this to make something of their talent. And here what he's telling us that if you want to be great, work. If you want to excel, work hard and work with some integrity. That's the diligent man. He don't cut corners. He do what needs to be done, how it needs to be done, when it needs to be done. And if you find somebody that's, that do business like that, it's like they ain't going to be no regular person. That's what he mean by they won't stand before mean men. Around them ain't just going to be regular people. They will exceed. They will excel just through work ethic. And just think about it. When you get a job and you go clock in, the vast majority of the people in the planet try to do as little as they can and make as much as they can. People don't want a job. They don't want to work. They want to check. So if you go in with the mindset that I'm going to excel and do great, just off the bat, you're the best worker that's there just by the fact that you're willing to work. Because the vast majority of people are not willing to work. And it is a, a plague that we got to get. And I'm going to keep reminding you, we have to get this out of our children. Like I said, I heard a story, a young lady talking about she's going to be a doctor. In the 11th grade, with dreams of being a doctor, but did not go to school. Like, hold on. How are you going to be a doctor and you don't like school? And you can't go to school in high school, but you finna go to school as a grown adult with nobody telling you for the next six to eight years. I don't see that working. 
And it's because we done lied to these folks and thinking if you dream it, you can achieve it. And whatever come up in your mind, that's what you're going to be. That's a lie. <laughs> I'm just, that is a lie. You can dream it, but you have to work it. And the ones that are going to excel at the ones are the ones that diligently work it. Are y'all with me? Chapter 23, verse 1. says, when thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee. And put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man given to appetite. Now, this is a strange one that we don't quite understand. So it's the picture of just consider, imagine yourself being at a banquet. Some keep, some chief person and brought you in and invited you to this banquet. And you the honored guest. They got the big spread like you always see on the movies with the long table and food all down the whole thing. He said, if you are the person that's being invited to that, if you somebody that has a big appetite, Put a knife to your throat. And what he mean by that is you restrain yourself and you go to extreme measures not to indulge in all your appetite. So you hold back, you pull back. If you get invited to this grand luxurious thing and you've been elevated to this great status of life for this momentary event. Why would he tell you that? Verse 13 said, be not desirous of his dainties for they are deceitful meat. And it's the thing of don't allow your heart to be taken in by this picture, by his wealth, by his luxury, because they can trick you. I'll give you a a regular example. There's, I'll take Jay for an example. This story fresh on my head because he just talked about it. He was talking about the time when he was real serious about getting out of debt. And he just zoned in, working, trying to make it. And this way back when, when the iPhones were new, like they were brand new, like iPhone 1 just came out. And it's just this amazing piece of technology. And he got invited to a lunch with this guy who bought one. And the guy was amazing, talked about his phone and how great it was and all the, the, the fun little gadgets and stuff that he could do. And he kept inviting them like, hey, play with it, like check it out. And our bullheaded piece of a leader refused, like, nah. I'm straight. And he kept like, no, nah, it's just a phone. Play with it. Like, it, it could do this and it could do that. And he's like, nah. And he refused to do it almost to the point of offending this man. And the idea behind his mind is, I don't want to play with it because I might like it. And I'm not in a position right now to like that. So to keep me from even wanting it, I'm going to stay away from it. And that's the picture that he got here in his mind. That sometimes when you go into some places, you restrain yourself for the purpose of not allowing covetousness to enter into your heart. Because it can put you on a place or on a plane for a lifestyle that you ain't ready to live. Otherwise, uh, summertime at work, people look at me strange. Like, Man, you want to get such and such? Like, nah, I don't, I don't eat that. Why? Because it's too expensive. <laughs> I'm not going to spend $25 for a plate. And I don't even want you to spend it for me because I might like it. <laughs> so don't even buy me nothing that costs no $25 for one meal. Because I don't want it like that. Because if I like it, I might want to go tomorrow. In the day after that. All of my little money. <laughs> So for me to maintain my lifestyle and for not to be having to call mama near to borrow money, 
I don't want to, I don't even want to experience that. I'll take your word for it. It's good, dog. <laughs> and that's the idea that he got here. That sometimes you restrain yourselves in certain situations just to, to limit desire being created in your heart. These things are deceitful. They can trick you. What are you getting at? And he's going to follow that up with another very contrary proverb. Verse four said, labor not to be rich. Cease from thy own wisdom. That's deep. Don't work to be rich. Just ain't let that sit for a minute. So the reason you work should not be to get riches. And this is just show not America. Because from the moment our children turn five, we start training them for this. Because we devote them to this thing we call school and the education. Why? Because you need to get a good job. So you need to do good in school so you can get a good job. And why do you want a good job? So you can make a lot of money. So from the time they five, we train them to read, not so they can learn and get educated, so they can get a good job. So you read the cat in hat and Dr. Seuss. Why? You're going to be a doctor. <laughs> and that's the whole mode. But what he's saying here is we switch that mode. And the motive for our work is should not be riches. And all of our effort should be in pursuit of something other than just riches. And he tells us, he gives us a why. It's verse 5. He said, Wilt thou set thy eyes upon that which is not, uh, upon that which is nothing? For riches certainly make themselves wing. They fly away as an eagle towards heaven. And it's the idea of you investing all of your work, all of your energy, all of your labor into something that would have no value in a minute. To something that will leave you. To something that will fly away. Jesus makes this same statement, but he says it in the positive. He said, don't store treasure up for yourselves upon this earth where moth and rust can come disrupted, but store up treasure for yourself in heaven. And that's the same idea he got here. Don't invest all your labor into something that's one day going to go away. Like, why would you do that? Why would you chase something that would disappear? It's like going running after a rainbow. Like you, if you go hard after it, like why would you do that? You would never get to it. And if the chance that you do get to it, it's just a refraction of a light. It's going to disappear. So it's not even worth your effort or your energy. And what he's saying here, riches are the same thing. So the motivation for our work should be something other than riches. Now that's, that's a deep one for you to think about. And like what other thing could we work for? <laughs> <laughs> that's something else for you to think like what else could we work for what else is there <laughs> I'll let that sit for a minute I will go answer that but it's more fun just to let that sit there verse 6 said eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye neither desire thou his dainty meats so the bread of him that have an evil eye that evil eye we talked about about a week ago is the eye basically what we would say a stingy person so don't eat the bread of him that has an evil eye, stingy person. So the person who really don't want you to have y'all, how many of y'all, I bet y'all done done this before, don't raise your hand, that you had some and you felt obligated to offer it, but you really ain't want to offer nobody. Anybody ever done that? You want some and you just hoping everything inside of you, hope they said no. See, you the type of person he talking about, right? <laughs> That's what he's talking about. Don't eat the bread of him that hath an evil eye. A person who really don't mean what they're saying. 
Their heart ain't in alignment. There's no unity in them. They stand. Why? In verse 7. Said because as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, said he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. So it's the idea of somebody offering, somebody meaning on the surface, claiming they want you to be well and do well, but their heart, they ain't where they at. And it's like, if you enter into that, if you eat that, in the end, it's something that's going to ruin the whole situation. You're going to lose the sweet words. So all the kindness they were talking to you is going to go away. And it's going to make that what you consume something that's sickening. It's this idea of it creating a contentious relationship and it's creating a sour relationship because they really didn't mean what they say. And something they bought for themselves. But you can get as much as you want. You lying. And down in your heart, you're talking about, I don't agree to sell. I don't want to eat full stuff up. <laughs> I don't never have nothing. <laughs> that, that's what he's getting at here. So it's this idea of oh, hold, be willing to hold back. Verse 9 says, speak not in the ear of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. So if you know a foolish person, that fool we've been talking about all this time, like don't be speaking to him. And that speak not in the ear of is try to give him counsel or advice. Don't try to guide the fool. Why? Because he will despise the wisdom of your words. So another way I say it, if you don't want nobody to vomit out or to hate your words, don't give advice to a fool. Like if it hurts you when people scold you or, or talk bad about what you're saying, don't give advice to a fool. Because that's what's going to happen. A fool ain't going to be guided. He will not hear instruction. So if you don't want nobody Man, forget you. Don't give advice to a fool. Go ahead. Because that's the reason he's saying. This is why you don't give advice to a fool. Because he's going to despise your words. Yeah, because he's going to despise. So one is in a sense in which it's useless. Because a real fool ain't going to hear. In another sense where you put yourself in danger. Because you can make an enemy by trying to guide a fool. Now if you're willing to take that fight. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that semi-apply. He was being a little bit arrogant and, and not wise and sharing it because he basically said, man, y'all ain't going to be nothing. I'm going to be everything. <laughs> that ain't something you say to your brother. But, yeah. And they, they weren't ready to hear it. Verse 10. Remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. For their redeemer is mighty. He shall plead their cause with thee. Let's go back to that moving the landmark. So you keep up these ancient things. You don't allow them to be moved. Why? And he adds to this one. Don't enter into the field of the fatherless or the orphans. So just think about the picture. You got young orphans, or maybe even a widow woman, who then inherited this great lot of land because her husband died. They can't keep it. They don't know how to till it. They can't benefit from all of it. So you got all this land just sitting here and nothing happening with it. And you next door with a little bit of land and you try to be about your business. The easiest thing in the world for you to do would be roll that stone. <laughs> Increase your land. What he's saying, don't do that. Nobody may ever know. But he said their redeemer is mighty, making a reference to God. You might get away with it in relationship with them. They can't do nothing about it. And even if they do find out, you're a man. 
These are some orphan little children, a widowed old woman. They can't do nothing about it. So you have the ability to do this and can't nobody stop you. But what he's saying is their redeemer is mighty. You might get away with it here on this planet. And you might can influence the courts and pay bribes to get things done in your way. But their redeemer is mighty and he going to be their lawyer. He going to take up their case. He going to be the judge. And it's this idea, the same refrain we keep repeating. Those who are less fortunate, those who are the other oppressed, those who are the poor, God takes special interest in what goes on with them. And so we need to be conscious of how we treat them. Because God is concerned about it. And it's something we don't take advantage of people because we're in position of power, because we have more than them. God will, will, will look into that. And it is something that he will make sure. Y'all, y'all with me and understand. Verse 12, apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. It's the same refrain setting us up going into a new section. That apply your heart, devote your whole heart to it. Glue your heart to instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge. Devote yourself to these things. Verse 13, withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Now this is a deep one. That seems to be self-explanatory though. So don't hold back when it comes to discipline the child. Why? Because if you beat him with the rod, he ain't going to die. So by punishing him, you ain't going to kill him. Verse 14, he tells us a little more why. said, thou shalt beat him with the rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. That's deep. So if you discipline him, you correcting him, even with the rod, you ain't going to kill him. And actually, you're going to do the reverse and save their soul from hell. And that word deliver their soul could be literally translated as snatch their soul out of hell. So when you snatch a knot into your child, you can be snatching their soul up out of hell all at one time. <laughs> my son, if thy heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. Yea, my reign shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. This is the father. He's going back in and zoning and it's starting to sound like the first section. So my son, if your heart be wise, so it's the father speaking. If you have a wise son, you should, a wise son creates rejoicing in the father. And when the son speak right, or when he see him going in a manner, there's joy that's produced inside the parent. And it's something I be telling my boys at work. They're trying to be deep. And think you got to accomplish all these great dreams to produce a proud parent. Actually, you just be a good person and, and live right and handle yourself. Parents are more than thoroughly satisfied. Verse 17, let not thy heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. And this is a deep one too. So don't let your heart envy sinners. So don't be in a place where you look to sinners or sinners produce desire in you is the way I like to say it. Don't let yourself want to be like them. Let yourself want to have what they have. But the contrast, he said, but be in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Now that's a deep contrast. And here he got the position that if you are envying sinners, you do not fear God. That's deep. If you long to be like the sinners, if you long to be where they are, to have what they have, you do not fear God. So if you truly fear God, you don't envy the sinners. Verse 18, he tells you why. For surely there is an end, and thine expectations shall not be cut off. 
Like, so this is the reason why you don't envy sinners because there's a purpose. There's an appointed time coming. And if you walk in the fear of the Lord, your hope won't be cut off. And it's the idea of this is something that the world has struggled with for a long time. You see yourself, you're doing right, and you're trying to do good, and you're holding it down. But then you're checking out on the, the Instagram, Facebook, and all that type of stuff. And you see them folks flooding. And they going on vacations, they on the cruise, they got the new cars every couple years and all that stuff. And you just barely make it. And you could be, shoot, <laughs> I got to get it. <laughs> Because you see your folk ride, and the folks you went to high school with, and they ride, see y'all in front of the hood, but they don't mean nothing to you. They, they, they got their big boxes and bubbles and dunks, and <laughs> why are you just sitting up barely making it? And it can produce envy in you. Hey man, don't man, doing the thing. You show up on, the, up on your grandma house, pulling out the knot. <laughs> Oh, granny, you good? <laughs> you got that big wire. You just sit up there. <laughs> it's like that can produce envy because you hope and you want to make it. You want to be in a position where you can take care of your family, doing all that stuff. But it looked like he he the one got it. And what he's saying is, there is an end. There's an appointed time, and the hope that you got, it ain't gonna be cut off. So the hope and the desires in your heart, those righteous desires, God will bring them to fulfillment. And there's a time of appointment where this lifestyle that he's living, the judge is going to come and he's going to decide. So while it might look good now, you're going to look good better. I mean, later. Y'all with me? Understand. Don't be hating them sinners. Yeah, I want to be like them. Hear thou, my son, and be wise and guide your heart in the way. Be not among wide wine bibbers and among righteous eaters of flesh. It's, you get a little deep. So pay attention, my son, and guide your heart. Pull your heart in this way. What's the way? Don't be among wide, wine bibbers. Wine bibbers what we refer to as a drunkard. Folks who, who, who fill themselves up with liquor. Like, don't be amongst them people. Neither be among righteous eaters of flesh. This is the folks who just overindulge themselves. They have no restraint. They have no self-control. They just fill themselves up with flesh. And they left a little bland, but I ain't going to play with it down that road. And it's the idea of, of the gluttonous man is one form of it. So the drunkard and the glutton, don't let them be your friends. Don't hang out with them people is what he's saying. Verse 21, why? Because the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty. And drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. So the person who, who can't control their liquor, they get drunk, and the person who just uh, glutton have no self-restraint, said they're going to come to poverty. And drowsiness, that sleepiness, that laziness, is going to clothe a man with rags. It's going to put them in a position that this lifestyle produces, will put them in a position where they lose what they have. That's what he mean by clothe a man with rags. Clothe somebody with that which has been torn. That what has been snatched away. So the end result of, of overindulging, being a drunkard, being a glutton, and just allowing yourself to enjoy that lifestyle is you losing in the end. And it pulling you down. Like I said, many people who live great lives and we cannot understand how they be broke when you listen to them, 
it goes back to this. They parted and they parted hard. And they bought for the whole club and bought for all the entourage. And then they were broke. And they ain't have no entourage and they ain't have no club to go to. Nobody left. So let us not be amongst them people. Verse 22. Hearken unto your father that beget thee and despise not thy mother when she is old. So listen to your father and don't hate on your mother when she get old. And it's the idea of responding harshly to what they're trying to teach you. Said, buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and an understanding. So do whatever you got to do to get the truth. Buy it. Don't matter what it costs. Get the truth. And sell it not, says it in a negative way. No matter what people give you to allow you to go away from this, don't allow it to exchange. So give whatever it takes and don't take anything else in return for the truth. And not only the truth, but wisdom, instruction, and understanding. That's that right way of living, that right comprehension and guidance down life. Devote yourself to these things. 24, the father of righteousness shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth the wise child shall have joy with them. Same refrain. The children have the ability to produce joy within the parent by the way that they live their life, not by the things that they do in the sense of careers and all that stuff. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. So your mother, your daddy, they're going to be glad. And the one that, 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 that brought you out in his life, the mother, she gonna be, gonna rejoice. She gonna create some shouting within her heart if she see you as a wise person. If she see you grow up and devote yourself to knowledge and understanding and wisdom. 26, my son, give me thine ear and let thy eyes observe my ways. Now he's zoning in. And what he's calling attention to here, and he been amping the son up and telling about all the joy and how you gonna help me out and how you produce joy in me by you getting wisdom. Now he's calling and turning his attention like give me your ear and let your eyes observe my ways so pay attention to me listen to me watch me and this is deep this is deep on both ends one for a parent and it shows us a transformation in lifestyle that him calling his son to wisdom is him calling his son to watch the way that he lived now up until this point a lot of these things has been what not to do. And a good portion of it is being what type of people to surround yourself with. You don't be with the angry. You don't be with the riotous and the gluttonous. You don't be out there kidding in a whole bunch of debt and doing all this type of stuff that can ruin your future. And now in this call and this appeal, it's going to get stronger. But he's calling his son to pay attention to me. And so as parents, this should be a sobering thing that a part of the teaching and a part of this training is not just listen to me, but watch me. That's deep. You can't be amongst the riders, eaters of flesh, and the drunkards and be telling your children, you need to be out there in the clubs all night, such, 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 when you can turn your living room into the club. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I grew up in a place where my, my granny house was the shot house. She sold, boy, you get that package. That's what it was. You get that package from the store and you have plenty of people in and out getting the package. So where we going to? I got a good picture of this. But it's the picture that he's presenting. And it's not just the deal. You don't listen to what I say. You watch what I do. And it's the idea of the parent being able to set themselves up as an example. But it's also calling the, the, the child to a place where the greatest influence in your life, allow it to be me. And that's the build up that he's given here. 
If you do these things, if you become wise, if you do this, you produce joy in my heart. You're going to make me glad. You're going to produce rejoicing in me. And now he's calling them all the way in. Watch, listen, pay attention to me. And it's the father here putting himself in a position where he got to live this thing. And he just can't be saying it. And this is the thing for us with parents. That's why in the New Testament it tells us don't frustrate your children. And that's part of the frustration that you hold them to such a rigid, rigid standard. You got to do this and you got to do that. And you need to have it this way on time. Well, you late. And you don't be doing stuff. <laughs> it's like, hold on. No, wait. You set the example. If you negligent about your business, you can't be fussing on them about not doing their homework on time. I ain't going to stay that too long because I want to hold up and get through this chapter. But y'all understand. And he's going to talk more about influence. Now, the King James writer is going to do what we refer to as a cuss word right here. Verse 27. Why you need to pay attention? Because a whore is a deep ditch. And a strange woman is a narrow pit. So that loose woman, that woman that's out there, that's giving themselves up sexually, it's like that's a deep ditch. And it's the idea of a trap. Something that can bury you, put you down into the lowest of hell, as we refer to it. And, and, and I like the way he made that transition. Watch me. Pay attention to me. So allow yourself to be influenced by me because there's a woman out there and she's going to trap you. That whore is a deep ditch. And the strange woman is a narrow pit. You can Once you enter into this relationship and you get yourself caught up, you will be restrained or in a position that you cannot get out of. That's what he's getting here. And this is something that we need to understand. That one of the things that destroy more people than any other thing is sexual relationship. It didn't destroy the vast majority of people on the world. And it's something that he's warning his son about. It's something that may seem fun. It's something that may seem enjoyable. It's something that may seem like it delights you, but it's something that could bury you and kill you and be a trap for your soul. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And that's the warning that he's giving here. So allow yourself to be influenced by me. Now, here he focused on the woman, the whore's woman. Why? Because he's talking to his son. So, thus who have daughters, could we extrapolate the same thing to our daughters and make it a man? Yeah. Uh, some of y'all jokes ain't no good. <laughs> 28. It says she also lied and wait as for a prey and increased the transgressors among men. And it's basically she sit up in a trap and she out there doing a thing trying to draw people in. And her living her life and doing her thing increased transgression amongst men. It makes sin in the middle of people worse and it makes it grow. So don't get caught up. Allow yourself to be influenced by me. Hear me. Watch me. Don't get caught up by this woman. And he's going to go into this thing and paint this picture here. And, and talk about American biggest idol. 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? We ask these series of questions. That woe that's Basically put in a place where things going bad. It's, it's, a, it's a word of judgment. Sorrow is heaviness of heart. Contentions. There's fighting going on. Babbling. They're always running out of their mouth and just arguing and everything around. 
wounds without cause. They got sores. They got scars and don't know where it come from. And they got redness of eyes. Who got this type of stuff? You're like, don't, don't nobody. Who would want that? Be fighting, just running off at the mouth, eyes red, got hurt that you don't even know where it came from. Like, who want that type of stuff? And he tell you the answer. Those who tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. So the person who got the wounds, the babbling, the sorrow is the drunk. That's the person that got all these things. They that tarry long, the folks that sit there. I told my grandma used to be the shot house. And it used to be old men who come up and show up at her house at 10 o'clock in the morning and don't leave till 10 o'clock at night. Spend all their little money on shots. And spend the money that they don't have. You have to run a tab. Put it on my tab, B. You don't know how many times I've heard that expression. <laughs> and this is what he's saying. Those folks, they got all these things. I, mean, I can't read this without thinking. I had a co-worker. And it's amazing and irony. Now, she was a drug and alcohol counselor. So her job is to teach people how to avoid and get off these stuff that's addicted to it. But at least two to three times a year, she's going to come to work with a bruise, a twisted ankle, or something. And be like, man, what a husband beating or something? Nope. Her nightly routine, once she get off work, she stop by Costco, get her some good wine, and unwind for the rest of the evening. And it happens to where she gonna trip, going up the steps, gonna bump into the counter, and all of these things are a result. Just cause she drunk. And my dear, like, if I keep twisting my ankle, falling and bruising my hip, like, why would you continue to do something that puts you in that predicament? He gonna tell us. Verse 31 is a warning. Said, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it is given its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. So like, don't get pulled in by it. When you see it, it look good, it look delicious, look like the commercials make it. They always make it look good. And it got the little drips of water on it. It just look refreshing. <laughs> it's like don't don't look at it. This is this is the deep warning. It's like don't even look at it when it's red in the cup. When it giveth itself a color in the cup, when it moveth itself right. You know I'm saying you see it stirring around, and you like don't even pay attention to it. Why? Because at the last or in the end, it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder. That adder could be a scorpion. So it might look good now and it can draw you in. It's like, but when it's over with, it's going to bite you like a snake. And it's going to sting you. It's going to hurt you like a scorpion. That's what the looker going to do. Verse 33 said, thine eyes shall behold strange women. Now this is the result. Your eyes going to behold strange women and thy heart shall utter perverse things. So your eyes going to get caught up with this strange, this adulterous, this whorish woman. And your heart just going to be talking all type of foolishness. Now, how many of y'all have met that fool? All right, don't tell on yourself now. <laughs> Ain't going to ask the other question. <laughs> and it's just, but I, I like the way he does this, and it shows you that what goes on in the world ain't nothing new. And do you see the connection that he make here with the drunkard 
in this whorish woman that he warned himself against. You're going to get caught up with this woman if you get caught up with this drink. And it increases your chances of going down this path in this deep ditch if you got this liquor in you. That liquid courage, as some folk call it. And it is something like we see it now. You know the drunk that come all on you ain't got no inhibitions. He won't tell you, woman, I do this. I drank your bath water. <laughs> yeah, I've talked to that man before. <laughs> that he's drunk. <laughs> and it's the idea of everybody look good when you're drunk. And, and like I said, we think there's something new and there's something that's going on. This Solomon wrote this, a thousand BC. It been happening for a long time. Some joker been waking up, lying to their homeboys about what they was, because they was chained by what they slept with for a very long time. <laughs> and man, I just went home, passed out, man. <laughs> Verse thirty-four. Yea, continuing this, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea. Like, this is what you're going to be like. A man that's laying on the ocean water. What happens when you lay on the ocean? If you just lay on the raft and let it go, it's rocking. You get dizzy. Or as he that lieth upon the top of the mast. It's the same thing. You're laying on the top of the boat. So you're going to be dizzy. This is what you're going to say. They have stricken me, shalt thou say. And I was not sick. They have beaten me. And I felt it not. When shall I wait? So this is the, the end of the night. Like they stricken me. Somebody beat me. I feel sore. But I ain't even know it. So I was sick. Vomiting. I'm in the place of, of, of hope, of hurt. They, they beating me. And I ain't feel it. So you wake up feeling sick. You wake up feeling hurt. You wake up with bruises and, and pains. And it's like, I ain't even know. All this stuff happened to me. And he asked the question, when shall I wait? When, when I'm going to get my mind right? When I'm going to get it together? And he ends with the refrain, I will seek it yet again. So at the end of all this, you done got caught with this strange woman. You done hurt yourself. You done made a fool out yourself to the point where you don't even remember what happened. I'm saying, all this stuff happened and I did not even know it. Like, but tomorrow, I'm going to do it again. Never learn. And this is the danger that we have to be aware of. This wine is a mocker, as verse 20 told us. It make a fool out of you. And the one way to make sure it don't make a fool out of you is verse 31. Don't even pay no attention to it. Because it puts us in a position. Untold are the amount of young women who have been raped. Not because somebody kicked their door in and snatched them up. Because they went to a party and got drunk. Passed out. And knew something wasn't right but did not know what happened. It happens. Far more than what the news and the media will tell you. And this is the warning that he's giving you. Hold up, you need to watch out. And you can be with people like, no, man, they my friend. They won't do me like that. I'm, I'm saying it's a safe space. You a lie. Because a drunk man is a foolish man who will do anything. You knocked out. You passed out. He been warning you all night. Now you done went to sleep on him. All right. 
We ain't supposed to be that explicit, but it's the real, <laughs> it's the reality. Verse 20, I'm um, chapter 24. Go a couple more. It said, be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. For their hearts study of destruction and their lips talk of mixture. Same thing again. Don't be envious against evil man. And he adds it here. Don't even desire to be with them. So don't even want them to be your friends. The evil people. Because their heart studies destruction. And their lips talk of mischief. Only thing that flows out of them is the mischief. The badness. And the evil. The destruction is the tearing down of their lifestyle. So don't even allow yourself to get caught up with that. Said through wisdom is a house builded. And by understanding it is it is established. So if you want to build your house to make it better, you do that through wisdom. If you want to establish it and make it stronger, it's through understanding. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with precious and pleasant things. If you want to fill it up with good things, luxurious things, said it's through knowledge shall that happen. A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel shall thou make war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. So if you want to be one of the strong people, if you want to overcome, it's like be wise. And the one way you make war or go advice or do something is through counseling. So in the multitude of counselors, the more people you got around you giving you good advice, the more secure you are in the things that you are doing. It's the idea of you don't go out as a lone wolf saying, I got it. Wisdom is too high for a fool, verse 7. He opened it, not his mouth in the gate. So wisdom is something that's too great for a fool to get. And there's no opening in the chief places. A fool, he's not allowed there. The, the gate is the chief places of commerce. That's where he should not be. But unfortunately, we got some. He that devises to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. So if you plotting in your mind to do something wrong, to do something evil, he said you are a mischievous person. That's who you are. So you cannot separate yourself from your actions. You're what you do is who you are. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Now this is a heavy one. Just to, to let sit for a second. Oh, my bad. The thought of foolishness is sin. And the scorner is an abomination to men. That's verse 9. The thought of foolishness is sin. So when the foolish man thinking, the coming up, the, 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 the thoughts of his mind, the thing that he come up with, said that's sin. That's deep. Foolish thinking is sin. And the scorner, that prideful person, that person that mocks and makes fun of other people, say he's an abomination to men. Men don't like him. They hate him. The scornful, the one who mocks and, and, and put down other folks, like men don't like him. And the thoughts of foolishness, that's sin. Ten, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. So when hard times come, if you lose strength in those times, if you lose, if you if you give up, if you faint, if you grow weary, he's saying your strength is small. Right, this guy, uh, an old American poet, makes the statement talking about maybe life ain't hard, maybe you just soft. It's the thought to think about, like life is hard. Like no, nah, maybe it ain't hard. Maybe you just soft, and that's the, the idea that he has here is that if you when when hard times come, if you lose strength. You weak. That's deep. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and he calling it out. You're a weak person. If, if, if adversity can break you, it can cause you to fade away. And that word faint means you, you gradually disappear, dissipate. You lose strength. 
You be going for a minute and you just get less and less and less. You give up. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn to death and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondered the heart consider it, and he that keepeth thy soul, doth he not know it? So if you give up, I mean, if you don't deliver somebody that's drawn to death, so somebody's going in a position where they about to die, and you fail to step in and pull them out, and if you say, I want to wear of it. I didn't know. Like, think about this. Doth not he that pondereth heart, that's talking to God. So the one that tries your heart and thinks about your heart, don't he consider it? And the one that keeps your soul, doth he not know it? And shall render to every man according to his works. So if you're in a position where you can help somebody, where you can get somebody out of trap, get somebody out of trouble, and you do it and act like you didn't know, like, think that God, he knows it. So you may say that you don't know, and I can't prove you wrong, but God truly knows what you know. And God really knows what's going on in your heart. And he's going to give according to every man, according to their work. So if you had the power to do something and did not do it, God knows that, and he's going to reward you accordingly. 13. My son, eat thou honey because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to thy taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul when thou hast found it. Then shall there be a reward and thy expectation shall not be cut off. So just like the honey is good and the honeycomb is sweet, just like that knowledge need to be unto your soul. And if you do that, your reward, your hope shall not be cut off. You're going to get the reward or the hope of your heart. 15. Lay not wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Spoil not his resting place. Why? Because a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. Now, this is the deep one that Donnie McClurkin tricked the world with. Everybody read that verse. I mean, heard the song, we fall down, but we get up. Because the saint is just a sinner who fell down and then got up. That's a lie. Verse 15, he gives you the full picture here. Both of these verses go together. So it's the, it's the, the warning of you don't lay in wait or you don't set up a trap, oh wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. And spoil not his resting place. So a robber, those who want to spoil, those who want to rob, take advantage of the righteous. He's telling them, don't do that. Don't try to rob the righteous man. Don't try to break it to his house. Why? Said because a just man falleth seven times. So you might get him. And this just man, this righteous man, he might get got up to seven times. He going to fall into mischief. The just man going to, hard things going to happen to him. That might happen. But the wicked, you the wicked man who do this trap, so I think you're going to fall into mischief. You're going to fall into calamity. You're going to fall into a place where you won't be able to recover. That's what he's talking about. So the just man falling seven times is not a just man sinning seven times and then repenting. It's a just man getting caught up in a trap. Things happening to him. Hard times happening to him. But each time it happens, he recovers. But the wicked man that does these things to him, he going to fall and ain't going to be no recovery. So this is a warning to a wicked man not to go against the righteous, not to try to take advantage of the righteous man, not to try to hurt him. Y'all understand? It ain't got nothing to do with a sinner, saint being a sinner who fell down. Verse 18 I mean, 17, rejoice not when thy enemy falleth, and let not thy heart be glad when he stumbled. 
So when your enemy fall on hard times, when bad things happen to your enemy, don't you be glad. Why? Verse 18. Because uh, for fear that the Lord see it. Because God might see it. What's a good chance that God going to see it? He see everything. <laughs> and he be unhappy with you. And he turn away his wrath from him. So it's a chance that God might be punishing the, the wicked person. And if we let this flow all the way back through 15, it could be the person that did you wrong. Like, don't you get happy when wrong happens to them because God might see you rejoicing. And he might let them up. He might start showing them goodness and favor just to get back at you. (laughs) Oh, 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 you you happy because I'm punishing them? I ain't going to punish them no more. We're in with 20. It said, fret not thyself because of evil man, neither be thou envious at the wicked. So don't allow yourself to get upset. Or don't be moved inwardly. That's the fret, to be disturbed on the inside. Have passion produced in you because of evil men. Neither be thou envious at the wicked. So you don't let them get you all riled up and you don't let them make you envious. Why? Because there shall no reward or there shall be no reward to the evil man and the candle of the wicked shall be cut off. So since the end of the wicked man is his death and he's not going to get a reward as in the sense of a positive reward, don't you be envious of him. Don't you allow your heart to be jealous of him. Because if you want what he has, you also should want what he's going to get. It's basically what he wanting you here again. If you want to be like him, be all the way like him. So don't allow that to happen to you. And it's like I said, in our world, in the age that we live in, this is a very dangerous thing that produces a lot of discontentment in people's heart because we see snapshots of people's lives on our phones for hours at a time. You consume your mind with snapshots, with the best pieces of people's lives. And it can easily produce a discontentment in you. And it can create an image for you that you desire to be. And I tell you and I warn you, a lot of times it is unconscious. Hardly ever is it, I want to be like. A lot of times it's just unconscious. You see it. You like it. It's appealing. And before you know it, you suddenly start transforming yourself to be in that image. This is the way trends work. This is one of the things I mock and make fun at my boys about. Because on one hand, it's, I'm saying I'm independent. I'm my own man. But then you follow the style. The makes it generic, right? So if it's the style, that means it's the one for everybody, which means you're not independent and you ain't doing your own thing. Because somebody else get to dictate to you what you can and cannot do. You can't wear such and such because they said so. You can't buy this because they said so. And it has nothing to do with what you like and what you desire. It has everything to do with the pressure put on people around you. And that's the subtlety that we conform ourselves to certain things. And it's the thing that we have to be conscious of. And it ain't just a young folk thing. It's an old folk thing. 
Y'all old folk probably got it worse than the young folk. Because it get bigger. The game get bigger as you go up. Because we get jealous. You know what I'm saying? Young folk, they fuss about shoes and pants and shirts and hairstyle. Y'all have all that. Then add houses and addresses. <laughs> How many vacations you went on? How many stamps on your passport? <laughs> the thing get bigger. Like, hold on. You feel like you inadequate because you never been to Europe. <laughs> what? Like, you, like, somehow you less of a person. <laughs> you be shamed. You don't want to put your zip code on stuff. Like, <laughs> you, you shame. The thing get worse. <laughs> and it's the subtleties and the pressures because uh, the world allow us to make this our identity. Where you stay, what you drive, what you wear becomes who you are. That's the way we introduce ourselves. Like, who are you? My name's such, 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 such. What do you do? Where do you live? You know why they ask you, what do you do? Because it's offensive they ask you how much money you got. <laughs> That's what they really mean. They don't care about what your job is. They're trying to categorize you and put you in the place that you belong. I guarantee you, some of y'all who work at big places with a lot of people, I hope this ain't none of y'all, so I'm going to put it on your coworkers. You got coworkers that know where every single person drives. Even the people that don't work on this shift. Like, oh, that's his Audi. Oh, that brought down. Like, how do you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they know where every single person drives. Even the people that they don't work with. The folks that don't work in their building, that don't work on their shift. They got it because this is how we categorize one another. This is how we measure each other up, and this is how we produce that envy. So we rag on the young folk. Man, y'all, like you buying a $100 shoe. You buying a car when you got one. <laughs> you taking out a $25,000 loan when you make $25,000 a year. <laughs> and none of us will ever say, if you let me drive, have your car, I will work for you for free for a whole year. How many of us will make that deal? If you let me have you, I'll work for you for free for a whole year. <laughs> you wouldn't do that. But that's what you promising them folks at McConnell and all them other places. If you let me have that car, I'll work for you for free. And it all becomes of this envious lifestyle. And allowing these things, these subtleties, most of our depression, if we really look at it, those who are discontent, when we think, I ain't doing nothing, I'm just a mama, and all that, like, like that ain't nothing. And it's because you're strolling, not knowing that the people you're strolling with ain't what they are. All of y'all doing the same dance. <laughs> Anybody got any questions?